Hello and welcome to this episode of Industry Matters, powered by VGM. My name is Lindy Tenninger and I'm happy to be hosting today. We are starting a new series over the next couple of months on leadership. We don't always have enough time in our days, whether it be because of long days at work and business or with our families, to focus on ourselves, to sharpen our own saws. We hope to give you helpful tips and tidbits of information in the next couple of months to help you do just that. I am so excited to speak today with Miriam Lieber. Miriam is no stranger to the HME industry and truly an authentic leader herself. Miriam is president of Lieber Consulting, LLC. We've just come to enjoy each other's company and chatting about similar things such as leadership, patient experience, marketing, patient engagement outcomes, all those fun things that I know everybody else likes to talk about too. So welcome, Miriam. Thank you. Lindy, you're, you know what's so funny about what you just said? I literally am smiling from ear to ear. I wish you guys could see me um, because I so echo those sentiments. Um, there's every For every reason that you mentioned just now, I really enjoy um, just being in your company and in your presence, and it really inspires me. So thank you for the well, opportunity. Ditto. Yes. So happy to talk to you today. You have such an extensive and impressive background that led you to where you are. So for those listeners that might not know, can you give us just a little sneak peek at how you got here in your position with your company that you own and just kind of your passion for the HME industry? Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll do the abridged version, but um, started with a family-owned company in uh, way back when, and decades ago. Um, uh, worked for mother and father-in-law, and many of you know the family-owned business drill. Um, I was one of them, and I worked for them for seven years. They, they had a billing service and a training school for HME providers um, in the old days, as we say, sold their business to a large corporation and we ended up being large corporation employees at which point my father-in-law said hey there are many of the hme providers out there that we put into this business and many of them have been paid quite nicely but at this time they're starting to feel like the pinch of medicare and other insurance companies that are not paying as well and they need some help why don't you go try and do that and i was mid-20s i think and (laughs) i thought what a what a feat (laughs) Why not? I mean, I have no reason not to try it. If he believes in me, I guess I believe in me. Never thought of that. But let's see. I'm a user of the software. I understand how to bill and get paid. I can detect issues. I've been in their training program. I'm the one that actually takes their spot when they leave and say, we can't get back. So I figured, why not? So that's how I got started, believe it or not, many, many, many years ago um, in going out to companies to try to help them um, bring in more bottom line dollar. And along the way, when they would say, hey, we're supposed to do a presentation with this association, but we're not going to make it, you go. That's how I learned to present to the industry. And I, of course, attended many of their sessions and I learned so much from them and I credit them with um, where I am today. That's for certain. So I've been doing it ever since. And with a wide variety of projects, I always try to take on the project that helps me expand the most because I'm always, I always want to learn. Never do I profess to be the expert without more information. So if there's a seminar to attend of somebody else's, whether it's a, a payer kind of a presentation or just an expert or something to read, I'm in. So that's where I try to always expand. Awesome. Well, talk about leadership. A true leader is always sharpening their own saw, right? So, that would be true. So I know throughout the year you 
visit with a lot of HMA providers, work with a lot of them. From 2019, what was the biggest aha moment that that you had? Gosh, I I have one that pops into my head, and I'm extremely organic in the way that I think. And the one that pops into my head is this one company we went to where it's um, a bunch of people from an indirectly related industry. I think they were on the payer side, to be exact. They came into our industry and were so fearless with their abandon that they were sure they were going to make a mark and were unafraid to take those risks and to really, they didn't have a preconceived notion about what it ought to be or woe is me or insurance constraints or scrutiny on my claims. They just went for it. And they were prepared to expand their company and to scale it. And what they wanted was an opportunity to look at the order to cash cycle to just hone in on efficiencies so that they could scale it. And by gosh, they have. Um, And I am just so, again, talk about inspirational to know that there are people out there who really are sure that they can do it and they go after it and they accomplish that um, all within about a six month period of time. So I'm, I'm in awe of that. And as you said, what is the aha moment? The aha moment for me was that there's no reason to think that you're not going to be able to do a, you know, make a big mark and go after it. And they were able to do so with just, it seemed like relative ease. Right. And still opportunity in this marketplace for that kind and of growth. And absolutely expansion. showed me that, that we, you know, if we stand around waiting for it to happen, we'll be the ones that don't have any business, whereas they were out there seizing opportunity. Um, and if they came across a challenge, they had, they just hit it head on. And I love that about them. That's awesome. From your standpoint and seeing their strategy and what they were able to accomplish over six months, what was it about how they approached it that made them successful? You know, you already alluded to it, but the leadership. Mm-hmm. For sure, it was the leadership. Um, the The person at the top was just so determined to make a mark. And, you know, when we would talk about things like payer contracts, he would say, I, you know, I don't necessarily have everything I need, but I'm going for it. And if I don't have the money I need, I'm going to get financing. And if I don't have all the products I need, I'll get what they, I'll I'll have to figure out what that is. Mm -hmm. So you can see that someone that takes an obstacle, what would be seemingly an obstacle and says, I'm going to hit it head on. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to ask around. I'm going to network. I'm going to be resourceful. That's the person that gets where they're going. Right. And this is how I'm going to take care of my customer, which I think is a great just perspective to have if you always have that in your mind. Never, ever did they forget about their customer. And they knew that 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 was sort of a fundamental, almost like the totem pole of the company. Mm -hmm. They were never, ever going to shed that because they knew that's what made them right um, and made their mark and made them distinguish them from others. And so they used that to forge ahead for sure. Awesome. So looking into 2020, from your perspective, what are the biggest challenges that providers are facing going into 2020? From my perspective, people that do things the same way for 2020 is that that's our biggest, my biggest fear is that we can't do business the same way. We have to look, of course, into 2020 as what will competitive bidding results, what will the outcomes do to the industry? But that said, we can't let that be the be all end all to Mm -hmm. our 
to, to the way we look at the industry because it's it's evolving and it needs to have a different twist on the same story. And for those that look at it the same way, I'm just afraid that they'll be faced with the woe is me um, game and then they're going to not have a place. And I don't want that to be. I want people to think about, well, let's take some what ifs and let's simulate some scenarios and let's develop some business strategies and let's think about different ways of doing this and it's got to be some out of the box thinking and maybe even talking to staff about what that might look like could even be where the answer is. That's true. I mean, just getting them to be part of the solution mm-hmm. sometimes is where you find some of the best ideas. I was actually just reading an article today about trends in healthcare overall. And one of the topics, of course, was consumerism and mm-hmm. how us as patients and of course as consumers trust some of those big retail brands is because those retail brands make it about us and they make it really easy for us and our lives are then easier after we've done business instead of harder more difficult kind of having to do everything because it's supposed to be done that way through the business through the institution And I thought that was just a very interesting point because all of us that are patients are consumers as well. Absolutely. And I think if we start to worry more about what that is, and we'll get it, we'll talk a little bit more about this, I Mm -hmm. hope, is that what is value to a consumer? What is it that they need? Um, And when I think about even leadership, it all sort of boils down to think about the other person or the recipient or the end user or the consumer or the patient or the payer or the referral source what is it that they need because that's really important and as a consumer you can put yourself in their heads and say look if i were in their position this is what i would need i know when i buy something this is what i would like i wonder if that's how they think and that's how i try to sort of look at look at sort of a a multiple sides of the story is i'm i'm i know what's in it for me what's in it for you um because there are many, many sides in our story. For sure, for sure. <laughs> so talk to for me sure. more about patient engagement. Why is that so important? You know, you say patient engagement and I say value-based care. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, yep. I feel like those are part and parcel of the same story and to a payer. So I'm so indoctrinated in my experience and worrying about what the payer's going to do and what they need because that's my paycheck. So I'm thinking, okay, I also worry about the patient themselves, of course. And guess what? Those two go together now. We're actually partners in that story because payers are now worried about value-based programs as their impetus for payment or or even for penalty. So things like in a hospital, an ACO will be penalized for patients being readmitted. Why? Because A, obviously it's costly to the bottom line, but B, that does not jive with how the patient views their quality of life. Mm-hmm. And so call it subjective regardless value-based care is what is here to stay and whatever articles you read on healthcare and whatever sites you go to it inevitably that comes up and why and so what I did just for fun is I just typed in value-based care Mm -hmm. and I and I came up with the definition I thought wait there's one from CMS so what are they saying it is and they're saying a value-based program which is how they call it is it rewards healthcare providers with incentive payments for the quality of care that they give to people with Medicare. And so, of course, this could be for any payer, but, you know, it's it looks for what is it that the patient thinks the quality is. They think better care 
they think better health. And of course, the payer thinks, as you know, lower cost. And so I'm really worried about what perception, because perception is reality, what that perception is from the patient's point of view, um, what it will do to outcomes will tell us whether or not they feel like they have a better or improved quality of life, or at least it is preventing them from having an exacerbation that will necessarily cause them to readmit to a hospital. And that, of course, is costly to the bottom line. So patient engagement to me is making sure that you are in touch with your patients, that you know when they do have an issue, that you're there, that they know that they are utilizing the device or the equipment, that you're there, you respond timely, and you get them what they need so that they don't readmit and they do have an improved quality of life. And yeah, I think a big part of that too is just making sure they understand so true i think you know you think about your own loved ones they really don't know what they don't know right. does that make any sense uh-huh. they Absolutely. don't know i mean i'm just going to talk in my family that they didn't realize that you could actually have a device to help you put your socks on that sounds so trivial doesn't it mm-hmm. but gosh look what good that does for someone who has been actually just in anguish trying to get and and so much angst trying to get a sock on that they don't want to go out that to me can be solved so easily if only we expose them to that arthritis gloves for people that experience such such sort of tightening in the mornings and afternoons and evenings that they can't even function and that all they think about is how they can't use their hands and you get them some gloves that help them with compression they don't know those things forgetting everything else those are just two things that literally popped into my head when you mentioned it Look what good we can do by just exposing people to all the various ways to help them improve their quality of life. Right. When you actually look at a disease state and can have a program around that for patients. So it's not just a one-off all the time. I mean, you you can do work that benefits a, a like group of people. It's just getting that in place. In terms of outcomes, are you seeing more of a focus on that? out in the field? You know, it's funny. I I think about outcomes a little bit because I do encounter um, outcomes measures with some very astute companies and and more and more I'm seeing it. They're measuring outcomes and reporting on them. So not just to measure them, but they're reporting back to the referral source and to the payer. And what it is, is it's really their piece in the readmission puzzle. It's their part to play. Mm -hmm. It's how they function. Um, in that readmission part or value-based care part of the puzzle. Why? Because they can say, for example, that we were able to get to the patient within X number of hours of referral or when they called, we could respond in this many minutes or we were able to put off a hospital readmit by X percent because we are in touch with our patients by way of measuring their hours on a device or by just being in touch with them to see what else they might need. And by having conversations, we can actually document when they do feel the need to go back, what that is, and we can actually get them in touch with their doctors and hopefully prevent that. So there are all kinds of measures that I'm seeing out there that are having dramatic impact. And of course, when you mentioned disease state, of course, they center around specific disease state programs at a time because that's how it's being addressed, of course. 
when you think about it, it's again back to dollars and cents. Where are payers spending the most money? Where are hospitals spending the most money? Um, that's what they care about. And so we, what we do is we turn that into a patient experience mm-hmm. um, where we can help them prevent that return to the hospital. Right, which only proves or further proves with numbers that an HME provider as part of the continuum of care is very valuable. It's so funny you say that because I've had some dialogue with some some providers in our industry lately, and one of them said, Miriam, you know, we don't really have that big an impact on those patients, and others have said, oh, no, 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 we totally have an impact. I actually think that we do have an impact. Mm-hmm. I don't think we are the only consideration, in, and I was thinking about this, there's this what we would talk about and saying, yeah, that matters. We don't, we can't be the total answer, of course. Maybe it's the doctor that has to tell them whether or not they're going back to the hospital. Right. But our devices and our supplies can actually help them to stay at home and to live that improved quality of life. So don't for a minute think that we don't have a part to play because we absolutely do. We might be part of a larger continuum, Mm -hmm. but we absolutely have a piece in it. And that's where we have to make our mark. And that's why reporting back on outcomes is even more important because we have to show them that even though we may be a pin dot on the head of a Medicare total dollar or spend, we absolutely have a piece to play and a part and a role, even if we're just in the choir. Right. And that's the service and educational component of that can only add to that pin. What's funny is we've always been a service industry. Mm -hmm. And I know with the shrinking right reimbursement rates, it's so so much more challenging. But because of technology improvements, I actually think we can zero in on those patients where we really need to pay attention more than others. And and then that speaks to, well, we also use our bank for our buck. And for patients that don't need us and they're low-maintenance patients, so they don't need our intervention. But where they do, we will pay a a specific type of and a special type of attention. And it might be more clinical in nature. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. So let's move on a little bit into the other topic that I really wanted to be able to talk to you about today, which is leadership. Because I know that this is a passion of yours. I know you're a leader in this industry. You help a lot of people kind of sharpen their own saws, take a look at their staff and their training. So we all get so busy that personal development for ourselves can take the back burner. So what's your advice on leadership development and how we continue to grow as leaders, even in the midst of being extremely busy day in and day out? Good question, by the way. It's hard because we have so many other um, fires to put out, and I totally understand that. That said, those five minutes you take to actually just read an article or to infuse some kind of leadership into your day, I don't care. I don't care if you wake up and meditate. I don't care if you've read an article and you you have a quote to share. I don't care if it's an experience that you had, you know, waiting in line at a store. That right there is infusing leadership into your your staff and into your management team to make them say, hey, wait, that resonates with me. I think I could be a better leader if I am if I actually start to use a little bit of that advice. You never know when you're going to strike a chord. Isn't it funny? Like you, someone says something to you is different when they say it to someone else. And all of a sudden you think, huh, that is an awesome idea. I think I'm going to use that. And you never know when that is. So constantly staying open to 
other people's ways of thinking, reading beyond yourself. Um, in one company, I was told this woman wants to get a promotion. And as you know, I mentor young leaders. So she said to me, Miriam, they told me that in, if I really want to get this promotion, I have to read these five key business books. And she said, God, I am so pressed for time that I have decided I'm still going to do it, but I'm going to start look, listening on, on um when I go drive home on Audible. And I thought, that is such a great mm -hmm. idea. So she right. said, I'm now doing audiobooks, and I'm starting to really get the benefit of it. Plus, it helps me to go home and sort of decompress. And then when I come in, I also invig am invigorated by listening. And I loved that. So she took what was seemingly a sort of an insurmountable assignment and turned it into a positive for her that she can use and also will help her forward her career in the end. And I think one more thing that would be kind of fun as an idea, why not at your next management meeting assign someone the task of coming up with an, a management tip, a leadership tip, an idea, a quote, an article, an excerpt from a book, um, or even an experience that you've had. Um, and then you come back and I would like you to share that with the group and tell them why you think it matters and then how can you if you can as a group maybe what we can do is try to make that that idea actionable and infuse it into our day-to-day -day. and how do we do that i love that i think it's you know i think part of it is and you and i talked about this before being authentic and being vulnerable and allowing other people to show their leadership skills is really what being a leader is about so yeah. one of the things we have to be aware of is that not everybody wants to be that way. And I had to learn that at a very early age. Not everyone is, has that drive, and that's okay. But if you do have someone who has that drive and maybe is a little shy, why don't you help them along the way and say, when I was young or when, I was, when I've done this before and I am young, this is what I did and it worked. You should try it. Maybe that's a way to help along someone, a colleague, a peer, um, or a mentee who would necessarily need that just little push to go out there because they really do want to be a leader. They just need someone to help them along. To help show them. And we can all learn so much from each other. That's why I like that idea so much. Sure. It's something that everyone would take something different away, which is amazing because that's how we learn. We all take different nuggets um, that would apply to us a little bit differently. But then having everyone bring something like that to the table, I can only imagine the breadth of ideas and inspiration and encouragement that would actually come forth. It's a lot of fun. If you really had time, what you could do is just bring in a bunch of those resources and give people a half hour to read them and then come back and tell you what they got out of it and share. Attracting and retaining good staff. Challenging or not? That uh, goes without saying. It's almost like <laughs> I understand it's challenging. Yes. <laughs> it's probably, it should be a statement of fact. Why is that? I think part of it is there is a disconnect between the generations and also some of us are thinking the way we've always thought and it doesn't work anymore. And it's very hard to change, but it's so necessary and sometimes if you think you can't change just taking a step back and asking someone with a fresh idea to step in and it sort of circles me back around to that company that was just so inspiring for me in 2019 and that's 
partly because they did not think inside the box. They just said, we've got to find a way. Let's just go in any different circuitous route to get where we got to go. And they did. And so what does that look like? I think, you know, I think still we are an industry that is comprised of a lot of companies and small towns. We need, we need HME and everywhere. And, Sometimes in a small town, what does that look like in a small town? People will say to me, but Miriam, the talent pool is just slimmer than in other towns. And you live in a big city. And so, you you know, it should be, you, you don't really think that way. But wait a second. I'm in a small town all the time. And I have been at lunch in a small town with management from the DME company. And I'll say, did you just see that server? They were awesome. Do you see how attentive they are? Do you see how they came back to us three times? Do you know they remembered everything we said? And did you like that they actually had a positive bent on telling us that they didn't have what it is we wanted and we still thought we got what we wanted? Mm-hmm. Who are they? Maybe they want to apply for a job. Don't you have a bunch of openings? Why don't we interview them? And that's one of those things where it's like, don't just look directly at, I'm going to only go to the places I always go to. It's not only about indeed or a website maybe it's talking to people maybe it's networking maybe you have a program where you bring in somebody that you know who would be a great employee and if it works out then you get this that or the other maybe it's referring a friend maybe it is even just constantly interviewing people where you are and then last but not least you know you, you got interns from colleges you have business schools you have technical schools you have people that have a healthcare bent or an interest or have business majors and maybe marketing even and they really want to help you with your social media campaign maybe they're willing to do it for 3 months gratis maybe that's our agreement Maybe we're going to send them to another DME town or a company and let them try it out there and see if they like it. Maybe what we could do is actually hire a remote employee. And you're thinking, oh, God, Miriam, I don't believe in that. I actually think if we're going to have driverless cars, we're going to also have a bunch of remote employees. Right. Um, I think it's like if we don't look at that head on, I think we're missing something. And it may not be for everyone. And I'm, you know, I understand that. But I also have to tell you, I've seen it work beautifully. And if we start, if we can start to measure with technology more and more, we should be able to know what everybody's doing um, at any time. Look, if I can follow, I can follow my kid anywhere on the phone. I'm sure we could do anything we need to do, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like find my friend. I can find my computer. I can, if I can do that, I can, I can really, I should be able to know what people are doing. Plus, we have, you know, we talk about outcomes. We also have measurables and right. metrics and KPIs. Um, and if they're doing their job, I don't know that I need to necessarily micromanage. Of course, I need to worry about a whole bunch of things, and that's you know safety, security, and all that. But outside of that, I actually think we need to be looking at more of the remote worker. And what that looks like going forward is just going to be a different dynamic. The problem you have there is it's hard to create community, and maybe not everybody can be remote. But there are also ways to contend with that, which are maybe using you know Skype for business or Zoom and getting in a remote you know, meeting once a week or once a month. I've seen it done with global companies. So what do you do when someone's overseas while you make it work? So just so you know, I think that outside the box thinking a little bit more is something we have to begin to entertain and utilizing the younger generation to get us there is going to help. Definitely. I completely agree with that. It's, it's along the same lines of almost consumerism, but it's a generation that 
it are really demanding different things out of the workplace than maybe have been demanded before. And one of them being flexibility and options for maybe remote work and maybe some different type of hours. But they also want that clear communication of what am I responsible for? What's my end goal? And I think you have that clear communication and I think it works. But I think the last thing is really that purpose-driven work. Well, in this industry, you've got purpose-driven work. I have to say to you that, that what you just said is so important and I think we need to do much more with that going forward. Um, the, maybe not just this generation coming up, but I think every generation is seeing that purpose-driven work is really what drives people. And if you said to me, what drives you? I would say it's definitely about purpose-driven opportunity. And I think that has to be a key component of every company today. And I would absolutely engage my employees in that discussion because they have to love, They you want them to love to come to work. And if part of it is being part of a purpose-driven mission, then that's that's what it is. And we got to rely on them. They're the ones doing it day in and day out. What, what speaks to you? What resonates with you? What makes you tick? And is it helping other people? We already know that it goes without saying that we do help people obviously every day, but what beyond that can we do? Right. Is it, you know, being on, you know, advisory uh, staff members on the Kiwanis club? Is it, you know, taking, you know, the, maybe we're going to run in the, in the, you know, a diabetes race. Maybe it's that we're going to, um, we're going to, we're going to do a, you know, go out and help the homeless day maybe we're gonna serve food at a food kitchen and maybe we're gonna actually get involved in you know the paralympics it could be any number of different things we could the sky is the limit and when you when you do any reading online you can see every single company out there outside of our industry absolutely has a mission you know take Take, for example, even Tom's, the shoe company, and, you know, look at Warby Parker. And you look at all these companies that are doing a bang-up job. They all have these these missions to help other people. And I love, love, love nothing more than that. So I have to tell you a funny story about Tom's. I am a Tom's fanatic. Ah, I didn't know that. I really am. I have pretty much every pair of shoes that come out for a season. But what I tell my (laughs) husband in that is that I'm actually doing charity work as I'm purchasing (laughs) my shoes. (laughs) <laughs> he hasn't bought into that yet, but there is such a good mission. Every time I buy a pair of shoes, they are giving a pair of shoes away to someone in need, which That's I agree. Hysterical. It's amazing. That is, it's like, I like that one. I'm going to use that with my, for my <laughs> Yes, husband. you are and doing I, charity work if you buy Tom's. I'm doing my charity work today. Where have you been? I've been at Tom's. <laughs> <laughs> um, but along those lines that you were talking about companies doing this, I just read the other day, of a Fortune 500 company now hiring a chief community impact yes. officer. I saw it. I saw that same one. It was. I think it was either on LinkedIn or, or yeah, somewhere. somewhere. I saw the article. I loved it so much. I was thinking, God, would I love that job? That's no all kidding. that happened to me. <laughs> no kidding. I completely agree. Uh, yeah. So bringing this full circle, um, what makes you most excited for your cu- customers this year in 2020? I started to think about what does 2020 look like? First of all, um, in preparing for 2021, we have to look at 2020. And I think I'm really excited about companies that are focusing while we, while some of us wait for 2021, focusing internally um, in our operations, delving into ways to sort of shore up the, the order to cash process, scaling our, so that we can scale our company, um, utilizing new software initiatives, completely excites me because I feel like we're finally reaching the stage where we can engage the patient even in their own journey and experience 
by the way, they can go online and know what their payments are and they can go online and send us another document we might not have right from their smartphone or their computer screen. You know, those kinds of things to me are enthuse me because they help to be a part of that story. And then they're, if they're engaged, then of course we can get them to, to, to help us along and do part of our job, but also get them excited about the fact that we can help them solve problems together. They become our partners, but along that same line, it's got to be technology. That has to be what forges us ahead because we can't do it with the same amount of labor and the expense associated with that. We will always need labor, by the way. I am not a proponent of we don't want to have a high-touch business. We are a high-touch business. But we have to rely on software to help us get there. And that experience comes right by way of our computer screen. And then I start to think, you know, if a doctor can look at a rash on a baby by way of their smartphone, yes. their, by Skype or FaceTime, or for a friend of mine, they could actually do her follow-up appointment after her hip surgery by way of FaceTime and see that she could walk again. Well, if they can do that, we can minimally help our patients make their way with their HME and supplies without necessarily even sending a technician or clinician out. And we, we need to absolutely sort of save those exercises of going out to the homes and for those more acute cases yep, yep. and learning to better utilize our key staff appropriately um, and grab hold of technology as it advances. You know, if we can take, for example, a discharge on a patient and it comes right by way into our system, and we just saved all of that extra time trying to get all the documentation. And if it comes right in there and populates, just think of that one example. We can facilitate that discharge much more timely. We have what we need to do our jobs. Now, we're relying on the other parties to play a part in that, of course, but the exercise can't happen unless we have technological advances. And they're here. Yeah. And it's so it so excites me that I get to help get the patient more engaged, that I get to help to actually facilitate the order to cash process and make it more efficient. And then, of course, I get to report back on it so that the payer and referral source alike understand that we are part and parcel of a continuum of care that really helps to get that patient on their way, preventing them from having to go back to the hospital. And there we have it. That to me is exciting. Countless more examples. Yep, but that is that is an exciting outlook for the year and um, for the industry. And I look forward to continuing our dialogue throughout this year and just checking in to see how things are going. I was actually thinking that maybe the next time around we have a chat, we just both have a you know glass of wine sitting next to us, like on the Today <laughs> Show or something. Wouldn't that be fun? It would be. I'm thinking of a lot of places we could go to do that. That's so, true. Yeah keep me posted. All right. Thanks so much, Miriam. I really appreciate it. And of course. we will talk to you again later. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, Lindy. Yep. Take care.